Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, how is there construction outside of my apartment at every waking moment? Oh, it stopped. Oh my God! Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Oh my God, guys! Jake has a podcast. I can't believe Jake has a podcast. Oh my God! Oh my God! What is up, everybody? My name is Jake Workman, and this is Oh My Pod, you guys, a musical theater and pop culture podcast. You guys, this week I had the incredible opportunity to see a new play on Broadway. It is called Jaja's African Hair Braiding, and it's playing at the Manhattan Theater Club on Broadway. And you guys, this show was out of this world. The play is absolutely beautiful. It's written perfectly. It's hilarious. It's poignant. It's scary at times. It's so, so beautiful. And the hair design of this show is un real. I mean, the show takes place in an African hair braiding salon in Harlem. So obviously it's sort of integral to the story. But Nakia Mathis, the incredible hair and wig designer, blew it out of the water. I mean, people are literally like actually getting their hair fully braided. People are getting sew-ins like all in real time on stage. It is so amazing. It's so beautiful. And it's It's just so refreshing to see an entirely black ensemble of a cast tell their story. It's just amazing. You have to see Jaja's African hair braiding. And with that, you guys, we got to dive right into this week's Broadway World recap, brought to you by my amazing friends at broadwayworld.com. First, you guys, this week we got the announcement that Jordan Fisher is going to take over the role of Orpheus in Hadestown on Broadway. It was previously announced that Reeve Carney would be ending his run as Orpheus after being involved with the show for like, I don't even know, seven years or something crazy, but I'm so excited for Jordan Fisher to get to take over the role. Jordan previously played Antony in Sweeney Todd on Broadway, and he was also an Evan Hansen on Broadway, so he definitely has the vocal chops, and I'm excited to see what he does with this role. Next, you guys, this week we got kind of a double announcement about Chucked the Musical, because... While we got the announcement of a 2024 national touring production of the show, we also got word that the Broadway company is going to close on January 14th. And I'm honestly so surprised by this, you guys. I mean, obviously, a national tour is an amazing way to get the show into people's, you know, worlds who otherwise wouldn't have been able to see it. But 
I'm really surprised that they're going to close the Broadway company after being so buzzed about and, you know, after winning Tony Awards. I'm just, I'm bummed, but I'm always bummed when shows close. So congratulations to everybody in Shucked the Musical on Broadway for an incredible run. And I can't wait to see who is going to get to play these roles across the country on the national tour. Next, you guys, we got the announcement that the current queens of six on Broadway are set to depart the show in December. The show currently features friend of the pod, Miss Bella Coppola, in the role of Jane Seymour. And Bella was actually uh, my guest on episode eight of the podcast. So you should definitely go back and listen to that if you haven't listened yet. She is wonderful. And while I am so sad to see these queens go, I think it's amazing that we get to see six new people take on these incredible roles on Broadway. So you have until December 3rd to catch this cast of queens in Sixth the Musical at the Lena Horne Theater. And lastly, you guys, Broadway World got an incredible first look at the new production photos of the principals in Spamalot coming to Broadway. You guys, everyone looks phenomenal in these photos. Leslie Kritzer as Lady of the Lake, iconic with this gorgeous red hair. Ethan Slater, uh, James Monroe, Iglehart. Like, you guys, this show is going to be insane. Taryn Killam playing Sir Lancelot. Like, what the hell? These photos are incredible. You can find them at broadwayworld.com. And I cannot wait for us all to get to see this ridiculous show. And you guys, this has been the Broadway World Recap. Oh my pod, you guys. I am so excited to welcome my next guest to the show. He is an Emmy winner, no stranger to the Broadway stage, and he has his very own solo show coming to 54 Below this October, entitled A Thousand Sweet Kisses. Please welcome Jay Rodriguez. Hi. Oh my pod, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm dying at your title. When I first saw it, I was like, get out. Like, <laughs> my era of musical theater is late 90s, early 2000s. That's when I was really entrenched in it. And, you know, like I did the last hairspray workshop with like Laura Bell Bundy. Yes. And I was Angel at the time in Rent and doing that during the day. And when they turned to us and said, you know, they made us dance after the rehearsal and then like, hold on, hang on, you guys. And then Jerry Mitchell says, you're all coming with us. We're all going to Broadway. Well, Seattle first. And I think I was, <laughs> Matt Morrison and I had planned to like share, like a, you know, like a stay together. Like we were good friends at the time. But what is so remarkable is like Laura Bell Bundy and that's where we sort of first met. And then years later, I decided not to do the show because I was like, I'm not going to be in the ensemble of hairspray that does not feature the boys while I'm already playing a lead. However, five cast members from Rent went and did it. Fantastic. Then um, I get Queer Eye and I get asked to do Broadway Bears and I'm like, they're finally going to let me do a star strip. No, no. I ended up closing (laughs) the show because the show's theme was a girl who arrives at Port Authority, Bright Lights, Big City, and wants to be an actress. (laughs) And they thought it was a perfect bookend because I'd done, you know, Broadway Bears in the ensemble for years. And they had me sing Fame. And there was Laura Bell Bundy in the pit with a live band with just pasties. I think it was sparkly <laughs> at that, singing back up for me and Fame. And I was like, what world am I living in that Amber Von Tussle is literally <laughs> behind me in pasties. And I've just adored her ever since. And I feel so disconnected from the Broadway community because I've been in LA for 17 years. But there's people's 
meteoric, like uh, their meteor, how do you say that? Like meteor rise, meteoric rise to fame. Laura being one of them, she's always been a star, but we got to cross paths because she did a sitcom I was the lead on called Malibu Country and I couldn't have been more thrilled. She played sort of like this Kesha pop star type. Um, oh my on this God. ABC. But anyway, the title of your podcast you know, immediately, obviously, a call to, you know, call back to Legally Blonde. And I just, yeah, there's so much of Broadway that I've missed. And I'm, so this is me doing 54 Below for three nights is my return. Well, I'm so glad because truly, I mean, I'm, I assume, you know, after being a part of Broadway for so long and then going to Los Angeles and sort of forging a career out there. It's a totally different vibe, but we're so excited that you're coming back because I mean, that's like, I think the beauty of the Broadway community is that like once you're, once you're in it and once you're there, you'll always have a place in the the New York family. From your lips to God's ear. I have to tell you, I was chatting with someone else the other day and it's come to my attention. I have never done a legitimate solo cabaret show ever in New York City, what I did was a night, and I don't know how old you are, it's hard to tell, like you could be literally 22, or I have no idea. <laughs> so, um, but when in the in the early 2000s, when I was playing Angel, there was this club that had a live band and live singers, but they would only hire singing drag queens or female divas. And when I petitioned to um, have a night there, um, they said, boys, do not pack the bar. The bar needs to be packed for us to be able to make money to pay the artist and the band and all the things. And I begged and they finally broke down and gave me one night. The night was called Twisted Cabaret Mondays. I was giving gay Justin Timberlake, you know, like (laughs) crop tops, bedazzled jeans, like you name it, every week a different outfit, two sets of six songs with a break in between with Broadway and pop celebrities popping in in between. And I was 21 years old doing this on my one off night from Rent. Or sometimes when they switched our schedule, it would be like after a show, I would race out of the theater and go to 16th and 9th for XL's Twisted Cabaret. That was my version of this postmodern top 40 and Broadway cabaret. And it was packed. I still have people that are older now, but were like, I used to love your night because no one was doing it. They weren't letting, you know, like all the other contemporaries that were my age group do it. I don't know how I got a pass, but I created this night. And then when my life got busy with Queer Eye, Shoshana Bean replaced me. But it was wild to think the only other thing I did was during the height of Queer Eye, I did a one night only. It was supposed to be a cabaret show for the Actors Fund, but the way I scripted it was like a Broadway show with intermission. It was like the story of my life up until 25. Rosie Perez played my mom. Shoshana Bean played my best friend. Like, it was wild. Oh my God. It was like the best I could describe it now is almost like Todrick Hall esque. In the sense that he uses some of the, to- some of the um, not gimmicks, but the tools, storytelling tools that I used on that stage version. It had like a 14-piece orchestra, five background oh singers, God. like 40 dancers, like famous celebrity choreographers like Tice DiOrio. Shelly um, Shelley Williams directed it. Um, ben Cameron, who was my ex-boyfriend at the time, played himself when I talked about this major breakup. Now all these people are household names, but at the time, oh my, God. my tribe. So I've never done what I'm about to do at 54 Below. And that was my goal from jump was to do that. But the way wow. Cabaret found me was at a nightclub 
And in this big heightened moment where they're like, well, don't just do a cabaret show, get dancers, get this. And then all of a sudden you're, you're telling your story intimately, but you know, it's going to be different in what I guess is for sure. Yeah. Broadway's living room at 54. Yes. So then tell me what was the, the shift? What was the inspiration to be like, I'm ready to tell my story in this way, in this venue. I mean, it's a extremely sought after place to perform and you're going to add. Oh my God. Tell me everything. Okay, so I move out here 2006. I do a singing show on Fox. It's Dancing with the Stars format, but with the American Idol band. And people like me get on the show, and they pair us with, like, Patti LaBelle, Taylor, and I'm competing for America's Vote. Fine. I think, post-Queer Eye, this is my re-education of Jay Rodriguez. I just spent the uh, past three years, 100 episodes, telling the world that I'm the Puerto Rican Emily Post because that was the gig. And it did <laughs> sure. not help me when I wanted to come here and say, no, y'all, I'm just kidding. The New York people know, but I'm actually an actor and a singer, and L.A. was not having it. So after that show, I started touring with cabaret shows and found the pockets of venues um, in L.A., San Francisco, Palm Springs, and San Diego that held space for Broadway-style performances. And in my, my lane would be more pop Broadway, you know, postmodern cabaret vibes. And that really did well for me. But this year specifically, I knew there was a pending strike. So my butt was like, oh, no. Like, you know, listen, visibility is great. And, yes, I just had a movie, Bros, and I'm on Uncoupled. And that's cute. But I haven't worked on that stuff since, like, 2021. And you'd be shocked to know my landlord does not accept, you know, like, you know, my <laughs> visibility or whatever relevancy in pop culture as commerce. So I again, you know, I need to take all the gigs. So as I started to post during the pandemic, I went live every single day, did musical Mondays, makeup Mondays, wig Wednesdays, trivia Tuesdays. And the audience said, I hope you come to this city, this city. So when I started posting this year, people tagged 54 below. Now, in my mind, as an outsider who's never stepped foot in the venue, I thought I have to get to Patti LuPone, Laura Bell Bundy, Megan Hilty, Broadway status again before mm -hmm. I ever approach them. Like, I'm not even on their radar in my mind. And so people tag them. They call my agents, like my acting agents, who don't even handle this part of my career, um, <laughs> Because it's like no money in it. And they're like, mm, um, do you want to do this thing? They want you for three nights. And I was like, yes. But then also I said yes because it was a lifelong dream, but almost felt like a pipe dream. Would, has, have people forgotten me? Is anyone going to come? And also New York met me as a boy. I'm a fully realized grown ass man now with mm -hmm. this, you know, with much more of a, a lived, richer experience to share. And I have sort of have this polished show that is... Um, different than what people are expecting. Even my friends here who know me socially, who know I tour the cabaret show, but they don't really know what it is, they'll come and they're like, I'm gagged. Like, I did not, <laughs> I know you, but I don't know you like that. I didn't know Period. you could so, so this was scary because I said yes first. And then after you, what people don't know is after you say yes, they reach out to you and they're like, okay, great. Now that you're on board, here are the things you probably want to think about that had not crossed my mind. One, you might want to get a guest star to each show. And I was like, okay, who, who am I going to ask? Like, how yeah. am I even going to make this happen? Like, I'm, not, I'm not rubbing elbows with these folks I used to run with. And like, I feel weird, like just cold calling people. 
So I was so anxious and I wanted to make the asks personal, but I didn't want to text. But the only access I had to most of the people that I was reaching out to was via DM. Right. So I left voice notes because I thought a video <laughs> would be a little creepy. And I, so I left voice notes and you have 60 seconds to get out. Hi, how are you? Hey, I have this thing. I super admire and respect you and I'm going to pay you for your time. But would you ever consider joining me? Oh my God, it's cutting off. Let me go to the next message. And then suddenly you're <laughs> voice notes to try to get all these talking points out and then also end it with like a way for them to get out of it. And then me saying, well, you know, like, and I get it. Your life is probably very busy or maybe you're booked and blessed and you're working. And so no harm, no foul. If you can't do it, you don't want to do it. I'm not going to be offended. So right. here was my impetus. First of all, A, sadly, two of my favorite Collinses are no longer with us. They passed away. So I was like, oh, damn Aww. it. My third Collins doesn't even live in LA anymore. So I couldn't even go to like the people I actually did the show with. And then so I reached out and I was like, I knew Collins, in my opinion, after working opposite that character for five years, was, you know, in my mind, just smart, had the biggest balls on Broadway to be out loud and proud with a drag queen as their partner in the late mm -hmm. 90s. And so I was like, who is the biggest balls on Broadway? Orfe. So she was my first ask. Yes. Um, I met Orfe when she was doing Saturday Night Fever and I was but a twink. And I idolized <laughs> her. I was so close to that cast of Saturday Night Fever. And then, you know, Legally Blonde happened and obviously Queen. And then yes. seeing her TV and film work, I just, but then we just stayed in contact and DM. So she was an ask. Then I was like, this will be a barometer for what I might expect. Cause she's totally. the one I'm talking to the most in the community. And so I asked her in the voice notes and she was dying laughing. And then she was like, <laughs> what's your number? And then she was, I texted her my number. And then the next morning, cause there's the time difference. She was like, I would love to do it. Now here's, here's the sketchy part, Jake. Let me, so here's the thing. The vision is the show is titled <laughs> a thousand sweet kisses, right? Right. How are you going to do a thousand sweet kisses and not do I'll cover you uh -huh. and not end I'll cover you with a kiss. <laughs> so now here I am. My freaking middle-aged Puerto Rican ass trying to ask Orfe, be like, so... <laughs> and by the way... Are you, are you cool? Is Andy cool if at the end we like this? And, you know, and she's sending me a voice note back dying. And she's like, yes, we can kiss. That's totally fine. But then, now I got to ask the gay men. So now I'm nervous because, one, I know. And I don't know Claiborne Elder. I'm just a fan. So yeah. I literally reach out to him. Don't know the brother. Like my musical director, Drew Whitney, knows him. They've worked together. And I'm like, hi, you don't know me. But like, here's the, you're going to, so I follow him. He follows me back. Now this man is, you know, partner, got the kid, the whole thing, right? So this is like trying to keep it on the profession. I don't want him to think I'm sliding <laughs> into the DMs in the wrong way. Of course. So I let, a, I let a day or two go by to allow him to peruse my Instagram to, you know, perhaps be like, oh, this is a legitimate person. Maybe I haven't crossed paths with them, but okay, they're an actor also. I send in the same voice note again, running out of time. So I got to send two. And um, the first one is like stacking the deck and actually sharing how I feel, which is you're super talented. You know, I I'd love it to invite you to do this. And then the, the last message was like, but if you don't want to, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. Um <laughs> And then he was like, I normally actually don't do things like this because I have a kid and it's just a lot, but 
I would love to actually. So that gave me a little confidence. And then I uh, was talking to Drew Wookie and I was like, should I be asking like A-list Broadway folks? So I did put some asks out to like some Tony Award ring. I'm not going to drag the folks who said no. Um, but cause I was like, I have friends that I could ask. Like I asked my friend Drew, uh, Drew, uh, Colin, um, Hamlin, who plays my husband on Uncoupled. We did rent together 20 years ago and I had a huge crush on him. And so now we're married on TV, but, um, I was like, that'd be fun. He's booked and blessed working. Can't do it. Classic. So thinking, of course. Who do I know who will be a maybe at least. And so I asked another uncoupled cast member, Dan and Boyer, who, People know from Younger and theater and stuff, and yeah. I know him from Uncoupled. And on set, we just had a great friendship, and he was so kind. He looks took some behind-the-scenes pictures for me, which was really sweet of him. Um, and so, again, married, baby, and here I am, like, trying to be very polite, civilized in the DMs. I want to come out all <laughs> creepy. And he was like – and then I had to, you know, tell him, hey, so it's this song. You're doing this part. And there's a kiss at the end. Let me know. It's okay. Bye. You know, and then yeah. he was like, I got the Altoids and I got the chapstick. Let's do this. <laughs> so, so that's how that came to be. They asked and then it's been, can I also like, Jake, I have stuff in my show that's a little blue. It's a little more naughty where I feel like there's a, there's well, sure. a story and a song that I definitely want to be like, the following content is intended for mature audiences only. discussion. <laughs> Because sure. Lily, I did a sitcom with Lily Tomlin and I went to go see her one woman show and she has a moment where she talks about um, oral on a lady and mm-hmm. the way she told it in front of a mostly senior citizen audience, it wasn't vulgar, it was hilarious and she got really buttoned up older folk who seemed very conservative and like stuffy to die laughing and so i asked her i was like how do you tell a story that's a little naughty and she was like it's all in the language so taking a page from her there definitely will be some sexual content but in a way that's appropriate not vulgarity well and it's also i mean you know you when you buy a ticket to a jay rodriguez show it's literally billed as like the story of like love sex and relationships so so you kind of you you, yeah. yeah i mean like going into it we we sort of know at least a little bit of what to expect. But tell me about the the sort of actual creation of this show for you. You mentioned to me earlier that it was, it, it, it contains things that you have already performed throughout your career, but also a lot of new things. Like how did you go about piecing together actual like songs and scenes to, to tell your own story? Yeah. Thank you for that question. So I, first knew that I had to have a title that harkened back to some of my previous work. So pull a lyric from Rent that I actually sang. Yes. Thousand Sweet Which Sweet. we will be talking about, don't you worry. I have questions about Rent. <laughs> but then they say, months ago, like pretty much almost right after you say yes, they need a picture, like an ad picture. And I'm right. like, I don't, I don't, it's months away. I don't even know what I wanted to do. So I had to lock in a title and then I had to find an image and I was driving, pondering what image it would be. And I saw an image, an ad for the bachelor or bachelorette. And it was rose petals falling and they were holding roses. And I was like, that's it. I'll figure out the angle later. So I had the title and I had the imagery. 
And then I was like, with that, it feels like the gay bachelor. But if it is the gay bachelor, <laughs> why would a gay bachelor be doing a cabaret show? And I was like, great. The lens of how I'm going to view the story is through the lens of love, sex, and relationships uh, throughout the course of my life. But instead of doing what I've seen done a million times, myself included, which is talking about what was done to you, I have to also include moments where I, you know, like tell on myself, where I mm-hmm. am honest about my own contribution to a relationship's demise. There's sure. a story specifically that I'm like, God, I can't believe I'm talking about this. I won't say it's like my deep, dark secret because in every relationship, I inevitably end up telling this story to the, my partner because it doesn't make me look good. It happened early in my 20s, but it also um, informed me on how never to behave again. And I, and I felt like that was really important to include. And as we hmm. were constructing it, you're right, I had like 60% of the material. And then I had stories and moments that I was like, Drew, I don't know what song goes for this moment. Here's a placeholder I have, but it's never felt right. And he really added, I had this one Taylor Swift song and it was in the wrong key, probably. Um, <laughs> and I said, and I said, I've been performing this to tell this story. And he said, what's the story? I told him and he goes, it's a, it's a medley. It's a Taylor medley that, that you can shrink your story by half if you just do verse chorus of this, verse chorus of the one that you already do and tell a little more story and end with this. And I was like, is Taylor Swift going to be doing a Broadway show? Because the way I utilize her music is a theatrical moment. And it's, so I was like, right. all of a sudden, I'm, I'm not like a diehard Swifty. Yet when I was learning the material, I knew the lyrics. Like, I don't <laughs> yes. regular. I knew the lyrics. So that was weird. Um, so there's moments like that in the show. Of course, I do, you know, songs that I would never be cast in. Um, but I also fill the audience in on like, there's, there's some queer IT, there's some Broadway tea, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, and, then, <laughs> you know, and then how love, sex, and relationships have sort of interwoven themselves uh, within all that. Um, and I think that's why I love, first of all, A, the fact that I'm doing it like Halloween weekend, basically, 26, 27, 28 at 7. I'm hoping people come in full costume and use this as a pregame. You yes. Know, come with your boyfriend, girlfriend, he, she's, and they's. Please come, you know, your roommate, I don't know how y'all label yourself, but like come <laughs> have a pregame and then go kiki after. But like, I know that for me, it's, it's cabaret is different than a concert in the sense that you are intimately sharing in a way that isn't solely presentational. Mm-hmm. So that's Absolutely. what I'm saying. That was so long ago. No, my God, I love it. Are you kidding? I'm like, please don't speak on the podcast. I, I, <laughs> um, I have so admired so many people who have created their own, like one person show. And obviously, like you know, there are legendary ones like At Liberty. Elaine Stritch is one person. I show, saw that I, one. I saw that. I saw B. Arthur. Brilliant. John Leguizamo is my personal hero. You know, like all I've ever wanted to do is do. If I had the balls. Jake, I would take all the music out. I would mount a show produced by a John Leguizamo and 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 do it at the public. 
because the narrative of the story also, A, now I'm in my 40s. So, like, when I was doing it at 25, maybe it, I mean, there was some stuff that happened that were worth whatever. But now I'm in a place in my life where that medium, I love that you said at Liberty, what a deep cut for people who missed it. But, like, those shows, I was at the edge of my seat at, at of Liberty. Of course. So the, it was Elaine Stritch's one woman show, and it narrated you know, her, her life in her own words. I think mm-hmm. it was directed by George C. Wolfe. I could be completely off there, but I'm I pretty think you're sure right. it was. And the reason why I know that is because George C. Wolfe directed me and Anthony Rapp in an early production of Radiant Baby, which I think inevitably ended up running off Broadway, but I played the summation of all of Keith Haring's Latin lovers and Anthony Rapp played Keith Haring. Girl, wow. I- I was like, probably, this is pre-queer eye. I was probably 22 and dying that George C. Wolfe was directing me in something at the public. And I was working opposite Anthony. Like, I'll never forget that moment. But of those course. Are things, those are the things you can't do out here in LA. Like, they just don't right. come up. Or, you know, truth be told, people are like, why don't you come back? Why haven't you? I'm like, you gotta understand. At that time, I auditioned for maybe six, seven projects. And I booked probably like five of them, which means I have no relationship to any casting directors in New York for the musical theater space, other than Bernard Telsey, who cast me as Angel. And in my mind, sometimes probably that office still considers me, you know, that guy. They've seen me for television and film stuff out here. But Jake, when I was 18 and I got my first rent audition, it was for Heidi, his then assistant. Mm -hmm. And I went in, I sang, and she gave me a call back on the spot. The next day I auditioned for Bernard Telsey. At the end of my audition, he looked at me and said, where have you been? And I was 18, flustered, no oh, college my plans. God. And I'm like, oh, well, I, didn't, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a, a resume. I didn't have a headshot or anything. He's like, I would have hired you without an agent. And then it was callback, 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 final callback producers, then Jonathan Larson's parents. So, you know, it was a moment in history. And I just feel like in so many ways, the reason why I wanted to do this for so long is I want to reintroduce myself, not just to the theater loving folks at Broadway, but those that are in decision-making positions that in the early 2000s, late nineties saw a Latin queer Twinkie man and was like, there's no room or space for you to lead shows other than the drag role you're playing now, right. which was part of why I came out here. So definitively, cause I didn't see, mm-hmm. you know, we were in a pre Lynn Manuel Miranda world back then. And I didn't see space for myself um, on Broadway. And I, I do now. You know, and 100%. I've grown and I've changed and played, uh, uh, you know, all different roles regionally, like Usnavi and in the Heights and things that people mm-hmm. were like, there ain't no way. And I'll go in and slaughter it. And the reviews are right. great, which is why I have a piece of in the Heights in the show, because I think when I was younger, especially in the early 2000s, for those old enough to remember, like, you know, you just kind of if you're in any kind of marginalized person, you just are like, well, at least they invited. At least I get to be this, you know. Sure. And then over time, you just really start demanding and 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 underst- wanting more because theater and the arts should reflect the, the whole human experience. And until 100%. all of us are represented, you know, nobody really is. So yeah, totally. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Totally. Well, I'm so, so beyond excited to see the show. I cannot yeah. wait. And obviously, you know, you mentioned your special guests, which is so exciting. I just, I, I can't wait for, for everybody to get to see your show. Oh but I would love to ask you about... Yeah your experience doing Rent, because you mentioned, you know, you got your first audition for it at 18, but you were the youngest person to ever play Angel, one of the most iconic roles in such a huge show. What was it like to have to give yourself to such a heavy piece for so long? That's a really good question. I had a lot to draw on, oddly, which people don't know. Um, I had lost my aunt and cousin uh, to AIDS-related complications. 2.5 mm. kids, picket fence, the husband, the, the, the dream family that no one ever thought this could happen to. And when my aunt, uh, my uncle died in the late 80s, early 90s, hard for me to remember because I was so young, we was told it was cancer. And then my aunt disclosed to us Thanksgiving 95, I believe, or Thanksgiving 96, that she, at that time, the language was she had full-blown AIDS. Now, when you are lower lower income and you are um, a person of color and a woman at that time, you know, a lot of people want to put you in trials and you end up on placebos and and kids pass first. So my cousin passed and then shortly after my aunt passed. But when I was living through that moment and my aunt, my mother and I becoming sort of my aunt's primary caretaker and being at hospice with them, I, I never saw her sick. Not like the way the movies presented it. I never witnessed right. that. Um, and when she did finally get sick, I remember, you know, it was very fast. But the one thing that prepared me most for rent was one moment on Mother's Day. My aunt was a very religious woman. So was my mom. And my mom brought her an outfit for Mother's Day to take her from hospice to church. She wanted to go to church for Mother's Day. And my aunt, my mother brought her um, this box and wrapped it. And so my aunt opens it up. And it was a pink sweatshirt and pink sweatpants. And my aunt started to cry. And my mother thought she was moved. And, and then she realized she wasn't. And she was like, why are you crying? And she goes, because you started seeing me as a patient and not as a person. Mm. And I just immediately thought of Will I. Yeah. I immediately thought of Will I. And this is just coming from, at the time, a teenage fan. This is, must be right. like 96, the show's out. And then a year later, I see it and I take a picture outside um, of the theater, you know, in front of Angel, in front of, you know, the theater doors. Um, and I still have that image. It's it's this. That's me. Oh, my God. Years old. Sweet baby. Baby. And then here is me less than less than like six months later. Oh, my God. In that iconic costume. So I had wow. a lot to draw from when it came to how I would play Angel. When I went to visit right. my aunt, it was as if um, 
you know, and, instead of, I was like visiting her at her home. Like she was always caretaking us and her, her positivity and her joy was infectious. And that was something that I don't think I've ever gotten over. The fact that she had the capacity to um, bring joy while she personally was facing this really difficult dark time. And that's how I always played Angel. Totally. And I don't know if people know this, but like the names in life support were actually real folks that Jonathan knew that were no longer with us. And on occasion, yeah. if we lost someone or someone in the community, was lost, we would change a name for that show uh, to honor someone who had passed. So when you're 18, you know, in, and having lived through the darkest moments of the crisis, I'm thankful I had that to, to draw from. Not grateful that I went through it because I wish she was still here. She brought me to my first audition for anything as a teenager, but I also didn't wow. know what gay was. I knew I felt gay, but I didn't know any drag queens other than RuPaul, who was in the zeitgeist. I didn't mm -hmm. have exposure to like the internet at home, and I wasn't going to Google stuff um, at school where there were computers. I didn't understand how the mechanics of gay sex work uh, worked. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what we're allowed to say here and what we're not. So. Oh, girl, you can say anything you want. Great. So how does this work? How are you going to do right. this? How does this mm -hmm. feel good? And then you're not going to put this. Right. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. And one of the stories I tell in the show, A Thousand Sweet Kisses, is my first sexual encounter with another man, which was a Rent cast member. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm still Period. workshopping how I'm going to say it because I say it out <laughs> here. Ain't nobody Googling. In right. New York, people are going to go real sneaky. <laughs> If I give all the details that I give on the West Coast, where people are like so removed from it, but in New York, people would be like, 1997, let me see who was playing that role. You know what I mean? Oh, I know that queen. Mm -hmm. Right. And I will say this. It was someone that, it was to tease it a little, it was someone that was presenting straight, that was mm -hmm. possibly closeted, um, and sort of seduced this 18-year-old, you know, baby, you know, that I was at the time with no experience, and I had... Um, I would say an unsuccessful uh, first encounter, but I also remember telling what happened to friends um, and almost on the verge of tears. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. I told it two years later to a good girlfriend of mine who happened to be the dance captain of Rent, and she could not stop laughing. She was laughing so hard she was crying. And then I saw it through a new <laughs> lens and found the comedy in the moment. And now when I tell it, the audience is dying laughing. And I attribute that to how I became a homosexual. But and there's a and that was the song. But but um, my time in Rent was profound because I got to work with people that were um, slightly older and much older. And the level of professionalism that it takes to do eight shows, specifically that one, which few people did eight shows a week. Um, right. You really learn the mechanics of that. But it always felt like we weren't really a part of the Broadway community because we were the the most, like the most, uh, the southernmost theater. Um, so it didn't feel like we were in the epicenter of it. Our theater was, you know, completely uh, old and decrepit and that worked for the aesthetic. But backstage totally. was exactly the same. So when I did um, a play at Lincoln Center called Spitting into Butter about racism on a college campus and I'm in this beautiful chic theater, I'm like, what the? And then when I do the producers, yeah. it was moving sets and right. like a beautiful- Automation? Theme. Gagged, 
gagged. gagged. That felt to me real. I was like, oh, now I'm really on Broadway. I'm on Broadway. Um, I think yeah. Rent people, we felt like we were just these pop stars that, you know, got to occasionally play ball with the Broadway community. Um, and I and I think, you know, in further shows that I did beyond that, that's when I started to feel legitimized. Because I think at that time, folks were a little shady and they would look at of you course. a kind of way if you were in Rent. Like, mm -hmm. you're not really you just got that because you can sing the house down like sure you're not really one of us that was definitely in the ether back then they liked and it. it's so funny to think about that because now you you can't think of broadway without thinking of rent now you know, it's, it's i know full yeah. circle it's it's amazing to think and i took it for granted because listen to the career right so you have 18 you're doing rent with a multi-ethnic uh cast generational cast you know we had people in their 50s we had people in their 20s um, teenagers, Leslie Odom Jr. came in as a, as a ensemble member for six months when he was 17. Um, that's why I say leading. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like we had all these people come through, it was a people, a, a cast full of LGBTQIA plus folks. Um, and then I do a play about racism at, at a college campus and microaggressions in 2001. And then in 2003, I'm playing a non-binary person in Xana don't. And in my mind, Yes. I'm thinking the entire world sees this, the plight and the struggle of these individuals. And then I get queer eye and get educated real quick that uh -huh. not everybody is in alignment with some of the things that I've learned or experienced through the roles I played. And right. that was culture shock. I'm sure. I mean, I I would love to to ask you about queer eye and just sort of how you even... I mean, I, I don't even know the story of how, like, you you know, the casting process for that show came oh to be. Oh my God, but you're going to die. I, the, the idea of being in the early 2000s and being so openly queer as a person of color outside of the, the safety bubble that is New York City. I mean, you can talk all you want about, like, you know, the dangers and, like, the big city vibe and everything. But, like, when you are in the Broadway community and you're in the theater world and you're in New York City, there's a safety net of because you are so connected to the other yeah. queer people around you. And so then to be put on blast in such a way and, and to be out and proud about it. What, what was that like? Were you terrified? Well, yeah. So here's the deal. So I leave rent for six months to do Xana don't. And the reason why you leave a Broadway show to do an off Broadway show is to get the reviews, to have a forward trajectory in your career, to be on a new cast yeah. album. That's sort of how you get ahead on Broadway. Because, you know, after Ben Brantley re-reviewed the show and I was Angel and got like a stellar review, that's it. Like there's nothing that you're not going to climb anywhere else socially in the Broadway <laughs> scene. So, you know, my one offering was the cabaret show. Like if you want to see me do something else, that. But then this opportunity to do Xana comes up and I, I'm already doing Excel. The producer sees me at Excel, realizes that I'm dressed authentically, almost identically to the character. So how I was presenting at the show, he was like, this is the real life Xana. Mm -hmm. So I jump into that show. I start doing the rehearsals, whatever. But I had to leave rent, which also means I'm leaving a cute paycheck. So I Absolutely. move out of my apartment. I move into a friend's guest room to paint the picture of the size of this guest room. When I open the door, I'd hit the bed. <laughs> Been there. Get like, like a dresser that touches the bed. My clothes mm -hmm. were folded against the wall on the bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, this is what I'm doing, Xana Dome. Now, in my mind, I'm fine. Like, whatever, I'm not really there. I'm just, like, working all the time. Who cares? 
Then all of a sudden I get this invitation to audition for this TV show. They have no reference of what it's like. They say they want you to be a nightlife expert. I got my Excel gig, so I know nightlife. I know New York City like the back of my hand. And you have to be openly gay. All right, but where is it airing? It's airing on Bravo. Ain't nobody watch Bravo. That's inside the actor's studio. Let me go do this thing. So I get the audition <laughs> and it's I'm, th- I'm an actor. So I'm going in also because of Xana with platinum white hair. <laughs> Probably residual glitter from the yep. night before. And I go into an office, like an office building, sit across from a woman who asked me to take her on a date as a divorced single dad living on Long Island. What would be a New York City date that you would, you know, what would you do? So I had this beautiful narrative of what we would do uh, that I'm sure wowed her, but like any like gay person at the time would be like, oh my God, no, do that. You know, like we just are in the know in New York City. (laughs) And it, it wowed her. And she said, how old are you? I said, 23. She goes, you're 27. And I was like, okay. And she goes like, where'd you go to school? I was like, well, I was going to go. She was like, you graduated. And I'm going to give you a call back for NBC and Bravo tomorrow and the creator and director of the show. And just give them the same answers. So I go in the next day. There's three chairs in front of a boardroom table. One side of the boardroom is NBC. The other one is Bravo. Head of the table is like the creator and directors of the show in the EPs. And I sit in the middle of the three chairs that are facing that because there's a brightly dressed blonde guy to my right and sort of a gay buddy Holly to my left. The board (laughs) starts asking me questions, basic ones. And it was apparent immediately to me that these guys, in my mindset at the time, were vying for this position of this nightlife expert. Okay. And this is what I'm thinking at the time. And... While they were vying an audition for the same part in my mind, they were trying to like basically fuck with me. They were trying to like really just talk shade. They were just literally like, I was like, what in the, and I'm I'm 23, okay? But I'm also came up through the cast of Rent. Like, you know I mean? Like the swings, because I had a swing when um, Wilson came back. Um, We called ourselves the mofos. Um, (laughs) It was Shayna Steele, Yasmin Allers, Karen Olivo, Peter Matthew, I forgot his last name, Calvin Grant, I mean, Enrique Rodriguez, Enrico Rodriguez, like, we call ourselves the mofos, and basically, Uh I'm a Caleb, I'm telling you this, but it's, they can't, what are they going to do to me now? So when everyone, which was so rare, was in the show, meaning no swings were used, we would have a little party in the hair and makeup room. Yes, beach. We'd have mofo parties, and one day... Oh, she's going to kill me. Yasmin, don't kill me. So the dance captain, Yasmin, we might have overserved her. And I think all of a sudden at intermission, we found out the director was going to come and give notes. And oh, fuck. We, was, we couldn't even keep her up. And you, But then the minute he'd be like, Yasmin, she's like, oh, actually, he's supposed to be on two. Um, yeah, right <laughs> on two. Thank you. It was the most hilarious thing. I, I adore oh that woman. She's, she's the person who like kind of softly outed me appropriately um probably in 2001 she was leaning over the green room table giving notes and i came up behind her and tried to dry hump her and she turns around without missing in front of the whole cast and she goes jay stop it you're gay (laughs) and and when no one clutched their pearls or fainted i realized it was safe to come out fully i am safe i'm ready yeah (laughs) So basically, I leave that audition for Queer Eye thinking I'm defeated. Like, I, they wanted this more. I called my agent. I said, don't ever send me out for anything like that ever again. They were rude to me. They hated me. Um, and I just completely was out of my element, answering basic questions. 
and then um, and I'm in hair and I'm getting my I'm doing my like makeup for Xana at the theater and I get a call from this agent who by the way was like a new agent to me like he was a hosting agent never worked with him before and he goes hey <laughs> guess you didn't do that bad you start Monday oh my and that's God. all the information I got the cast came to Xana so when the queer eye cast saw me for the first time it was as Xana on stage so they're like okay okay what's, what's okay, happening queen. yeah um and i talk about this a little in the show and um because people always ask did any of y'all hook up or all the straight guys straight and those are the two questions i tackle um in the show and um <laughs> but that's sort of how i got it but i didn't leave xana because i was scared about financial security so I had to shoot Queer Eye from like six, I'd leave at 6 a.m., work till 7 p.m. And the rule was as long as they could get me to the theater by 8.05, they would hold the curtain as late as 8.15 so that I could still play Xana. Because I still had my XL gig and and people were coming to see me. They were coming to see the show, let's be honest. But they but the producers felt they would prefer, even though my standby had originated it off off Broadway and he was insanely amazing. Uh, Gregory Trico was fantastic. So he was more than capable of, of playing the role, you know, exceptionally well. But they had that rule for me. So I'm doing that until I couldn't do it anymore. I was doing it for like six weeks that way. I, I couldn't. I physically couldn't. So I put my right. notice in. I get my two weeks. I don't know what Queer Eye is going to be yet. But at this point, we're starting to be like on billboards and stuff that Queer Eye is a coming. So I... <laughs> I give my notice. They decide to close the show. Liza Minnelli comes to closing night, and she's like, "Oh, this show!" She's like, you know, she's doing her whole thing. We're <laughs> gagging. It's great. A week later, Queer Eye premieres, or two weeks later, Queer Eye premieres. Hard to remember. It's twenty years ago, and we think nothing. We think nothing. We're like, "This is so cute! Yay! Fun! Yay! Cute little show!" Mm-hmm. At the rap party for Queer Eye, we literally were like, "Hey, nice to meet you!" To each other. Because we didn't know there would be a season two. We didn't know TV. We didn't know what was going to go up. Right. So, And then all of a sudden, like, like I think we were like two weeks after our premiere, the producers call us into the office and they had champagne. I think it was a Monday. And they were like, so you tripled the ratings in Bravo's history ever. Ellen wants you. Oprah wants you. Jay Leno at The Tonight Show wants you. And you're shooting the cover of Entertainment Weekly on Friday. And... When you're 23 or 24 at that time, like you literally are like, wait, what? Like you're trying to wrap your brain around it. Like it it makes sense, but then it also doesn't because you work so hard on Broadway. And in this instance, you're working, but like, I didn't think it was like that hard. You know what I mean? Like there were some, it it eventually became a lot of work, but season one was really fun and light. And, you know, like you're like, that's so interesting that I would become famous for this thing that I thought no one would ever watch. So we do that whole thing. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to go back to rent. I used my television out in my contract at rent to end my contract, but I didn't get a final show. So a year later, 2005, I think it was, or 2004, maybe, summer 2004, the producers reached out and they're like, does he want to come back and do like a, a month? So I did like August, I think, for four weeks and reprised the role of Angel. And it was so magical because then I got the final show and got to say goodbye wow. to the family. Get your cake and yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I don't know and if then, I should be drinking pre-workout while having an interview. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm so chatty right now. No, I'm loving it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, I obviously then the show, you know, blew up in a time where social media wasn't a thing. So, you guys were really like, you were kind of like the faces of Bravo and, and TV and. So like being on the covers of magazines and like that's my biggest regret is no social media because I see the way the other guys are uh, the new cast is able to have equity in what they're helping build with the brand in right. a way we weren't some of the most all my guys got million dollar ish endorsement deals at the times and I didn't and when I sort of asked about it to this agency that wanted to sign all of us this guy mm-hmm. was like look you're Latin you're gay you're somewhat feminine you're just not safe for America, uh, American products to back you. And can you imagine? And by the way, at the time, totally normal, totally normal language and receiving it. I was like, Oh, I guess, I guess you're, like, you're right. right. What did I know? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it was really tricky and it, it took a long time, you know, to, um, to release that. And every, and then when I said, I want to, he was like, well, what do you want to do after this? I said, I want to go back to acting. And he said, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be the next Antonio Banderas, you know, basically saying you're not, cause I said, Woof. I don't want to be pigeonholed and play gay best friends my entire career. That was his response. And I have to tell you, Jake, I carried that conversation for, I would say 20, maybe 19 years. And how could moment- you not? The moment I really released it was when I got cast in Bros and Judd Apatow. Before I knew the whole cast was LGBT, I sent my audition in to play the straight broy gamer, and I was like, you know, it's shitty because that, that's I'm really proud of this work. It's it's fucked up. They're not going to hire me. And two months later, when I get the call that they are hiring me, and I talk to Nick Stoller, who's the director writer, and he's like, you know, you, we saw hundreds of guys, and you were just you were just like two lines in, we're like, that's him. Hmm. And that's the feeling you want. And it's, it's, you know, I don't even know what this agent's name was, but I wish I could tell him, I wish you would have fought for me. I wish you yeah. would have said, I've never seen you act. I know you're saying all these things, but maybe you and I can change things. Mm-hmm. I would have loved had he said that. That would have taken totally. a lot of balls. And but, but when we talk about like progress in entertainment, there were people who would prefer to just take the safe route. And... I, that guy was one of them and, and maybe he was right. Maybe I would have been the first to kind of change that narrative. We applaud straight men when they play gay, specifically when they play effeminate in air quotes, gay. And uh-huh. we give them all kinds of awards because of their courage to take that kind of role. It's very <laughs> rare that you see that in reverse. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Well, I, I, today. good, please do you. I, I just so admire you for the, you know, the journey and the sort of progress that you have 
created for yourself because I think that it's an interesting thing to go from, or maybe maybe it isn't, and I, I guess I'm, I'm asking you, is it an interesting thing, a, a hard journey to go from a show where, you know, you're, you're, you're on Broadway in this hit show, in this huge role, then you leave and you become very famous for something very quickly. This show is awarded Emmys, like you guys are all, you know, like on magazine covers uh, everywhere. And then when that stops and it becomes about you again and the art that you want to create, what is the shift in you where you're like, I'm no longer focused on Queer Eye. That that was a wonderful thing that happened to me, but I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, I think it was pretty instant. I mean, you know, it, it was a lightning in a bottle moment. Um, without social media, a way to stay connected to fans, there was a big gap between when our second to last season aired and the final season, which just kind of went unspoken. Um, we, I'd already started a life here in Los Angeles with a lot of work to do to re-educate people as to what I could do. I tried to get back into the scripted lane and no one would have me. And so I took a year to basically do the things I couldn't do. I was not allowed to have facial hair, obviously in rent, um, queer eye as well. Couldn't get tattoos without asking permission. Usually the answer was no. So I did the things that like really helped solidify who I was as a person on the inside and how that reflected externally. When Us Weekly did an at-home with Jay in his closet, the stylist who makes it look pretty said, you know what's funny about you? It's like you got a bunch of costumes. Like normally I could look at someone's aesthetic and figure out who they are. But with you, it's like, I see who you want to be in certain situations, but there's no through line. And Mm. she was right. She was totally right. And so for an entire year almost, I wore a white Hanes t-shirt with Levi's and maybe would change my different kinds of footwear as my vibe of the day. But it's like I went back to a basic James Dean sense of fashion to figure out who I was as a person um, right. outside of the jobs that had seemingly defined me. Um, mm-hmm. And that journey for me probably was, I think when I, and I talk about this a little in the show, there was a relationship. People said, when you move to LA, you got to become a vegan, see a therapist um, <laughs> and, you know, join a gym. Um, and so I kind of fucked up the assignment and just started dating a vegan therapist. Um, but in that three year <laughs> relationship, um, I, I attribute it to transitioning me from boy to man because, you know, he wasn't the kind of person to uplift. He would kind of jab at all my insecurities um, and force me to develop a a strong sense of self. I don't love the way he went about it. And ultimately that was the demise of our relationship. But what came from it was an undeniable sense of self that was not going to be toyed with. And I found my voice in that relationship. And I think post that, I realized this is my journey. I think about Aida saying to Radame's, um, uh, like, basically, like, this is your life. There are no shackles on you. And, you know, you mm-hmm. basically you get to write your own story. And that, for me, was so empowering. And so that's when I kind of took hold of my life and kind of chased the things that people said I couldn't do, um, became the first guy to become off famous off reality to become a series regular on a scripted show. Catherine McPhee was the first female for Smash and me for Malibu Country because there was, if you're a host, a reality person, you ain't never going to act. Not in right. a serious way. We'll put you in Sharknado, but you're not going to, you know what I'm saying? Like you, <laughs> which 
I was in Sharknado 5, but only because <laughs> Margaret Cho played my fiance and we were on a honeymoon and I was like, that's too good to say no to. Um, <laughs> yes, but, Queen Margaret Cho. Right. I was like, are you kidding? Yeah, we're doing that. Um, but, but for me, it was like <clears throat> coming here, realizing as in theater, everything ends. Queer Eye ends. The minute I was doing Queer Eye and it was at the apex of fame, I was like, you know, this, this shit's going away. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do next? Right. And I didn't know how hard it would be, but... Um, there were a lot of times I would get hired for something and the the script was really messed up in terms of the way they depicted uh, the character, queer character. And when I spoke up, I got fired twice, um, ultimately in ro- roles that people saw and probably like. Um, and they don't know because I'm not going to drag folks, but like you don't know right. that like that what you saw was not what I saw when I got the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took my note, but then they also fired me for saying it. And period. And when we talk about trailblazers, Billy Porter says it best that it's very often that trailblazers do not get to reap the benefits of the very trail they help blaze. I feel mm-hmm. like, cause I'm young enough, I'm still I'm able to reap some of those benefits, um, but not in the same way as folks who, um, you know, might have a different experience with it. So yeah, I mean, listen, Queer Eye, I, it was undeniably an important show. I, I know because of the many people, thousands at this point that have stopped me to share that. So I was out here trying to own it and celebrate it in one hand, but also be like, but it, that's not really who I am. It was a job and I love that it moved you. And I, I've now learned years later, the cultural impact when you're in it, you can't feel that you don't sure. you, you got a gig to do. You're working. Right. But years later, I do fully understand and grasp the importance. So how do you hold space for the show that made me famous did very little for my career. It hurt my career Mm -hmm. as an actor. And I had to, you know, work really hard to change that. Like, you never want to seem ungrateful. Right. And that's why I talk about it in my show. And one time I did a cabaret show called and it was right when the new Queer Eye started and it was called Straight Outta Queer Eye with the straight out of Compton font logo. Sure. And the the producers came. <gasps> they hadn't seen me in like they hadn't seen me in what like 15, 16 years. And they were like, we're coming tonight. And I was like, oh <laughs> and um and how I dealt with it, um, knowing they'd be there, but also how I probably would have dealt with it was I talked about how it felt, which was not great. Talked about my agent's response, which was, you already paid your dues in the space and have an Emmy for it. And it took us years to re-educate the world of what you can do. Release it to the next generation. And I was able to to do that with no problem because the next gen were so gracious and so kind and loving. And I had um, a guy who was like 24 who I duetted for good with. I did the Alpha Bella part. He did the Glinda part. And by the way, in the original key. And... um, (laughs) And singing our faces off, and it was, you know, because I knew I'd been changed for good. And I was like, there's things that we can learn for each other. And one of the greatest gifts is knowing when it's time to release something and gift, you know, the blessing to the next person um, or people in this instance. Um, But yeah. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I just, I do have to say, I I am one of those people who I, I just applaud you and i'm so grateful to you and to the other guys from the original queer eye and and the new queer eye too for continuing the legacy but i remember being a, a 
tiny little gay person who, again, like you said, did not even know what gay was. And I was watching Bravo with my mom and seeing somebody who could be me, who I could be, you know, somewhere. So it's just like a kind of magical full circle moment to to get to talk to you and, and to know that, you know, after your like sort of long hiatus from New York city, you are coming back and you oh, are going to live your truth on this. St- I love your nails. Can we get a shout out for your nails? <gasps> oh my God. My claws. The, Thank the you. You, the set is setting, <laughs> but you know, what's really crazy is like when I think about how I would um, present, um, it was glittery. It was sparkly. It was a smoky glitter eye. It was like, you know, like, in that era where we didn't have language, the term non-binary wasn't really in existence. People would say yep. androgynous. Um, and I think about how the queer I cast, none of them really being specifically that, um, really embraced me and celebrated me in that way. And mm-hmm. I definitely code switched a lot during that era, but I, I am also grateful to them because we have very different experiences. There isn't a Queer Eye monolith. You can't say, what was it like for you guys on Queer Eye and expect one answer because everyone had different experiences. And it's only been recently that I felt comfortable with so much time having passed to share my real experience and know that doesn't take away from the show. It doesn't, um, it doesn't, it's, it's it meant to be just, it's not meant to be disrespectful to the producers or the brand right. or the other talent, but it is a part of queer history and who is going to tell it if I don't tell it? Exactly. And that's what I, I'm so glad that you also have this opportunity to tell not only that story, but all of those stories from throughout your career in such a succinct, beautiful way. That's also hilarious and yeah. is going to feature amazing music. I just, I cannot wait to see it. Um, but before, before I let you go, I have to ask you a series of musical theater rapid fire questions that Let's I ask it. every single guest. Okay, I'm Are so you ready? It's not trivia. It's this is okay. specific to you. Great. Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber? Sondheim. Sweatpants or jeans? Gray sweatpants. I'm Puerto Rican. There's a lot to show. <laughs> Do you have a favorite musical? <sighs> um, that's such a hard one, and I'm sure people st- stumble on this one. Um, I hate that I'm going to say it, but I'm gonna, I'm going to say. Probably Wicked. Ugh, the best. Uh, it's wow. just, a, I could see it a million times and it's always going to get me. I think I've seen it like upwards of 15 times. Absolutely. Uh, what about, do you have a least favorite musical? Um, I <laughs> snuck out of, I snuck out of Rent one time and went, cause I was super in love with Max Von Essen. I had a huge crush on him. Oh Everyone yeah, did. baby. And so I snuck out of Rent and played hooky and my understudy went on and I went to see Dance of the Vampires. <laughs> and when them bitches said, turn around, and they actually turned around, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, not the vampires <laughs> turning around during turn around. Like, oh, Manny Gonzalez was great. Max was great. But it was not. You're a like, show. pardon the pun. This sucks. Literally. Um, <laughs> would you ever like to do a Broadway play? Or I guess I should have, I should rephrase the question. Would you like to do a Broadway play now having come back to New York? But yeah, I did spinning into butter Lincoln center. And that experience was really great. Cause I always was fearful that I got rent because I could sing. Um, and always pride myself in my acting training. And obviously now as an actor, primarily I, I get it, but like the idea of doing a, 
no music. Scripted play? Yeah. I mean, I did Buyer and Seller. I think that's one of the last, like, real oh plays. Oh, my God. I Gary love Marshall, that show. never seen it, wanted to do it here at his theater. And I didn't want to audition because I was like, I'm not white. They ain't going to go. They're not going to hire me. And then I, they were really pushing just to meet me. Like, you can hold the script. You don't even have... Gary just wants to meet you. And um, casting director worked with me on, like, a page and a half of it. Gary comes walking down the hallway, backlit. And I immediately, like heart raising, super tall. He's like, hey, nice to meet you. And he sits down. I do a page and a half for him. And he's like, wow, he's perfect. And where were you? It's call his agent. What do we got to do? You know, he's, and all of a sudden <laughs> I'm, and I was the last person ever cast in any production before he passed away two weeks later. Wow. And it's like wild. Yeah. So like uh, that was, and it's, it was one of the most profound experiences. I mean, it literally, it gave me shingles, by the way, because I got so stressed out and I was internalizing <laughs> it because notes at the end of rehearsal, bitch, it's just you. There's right. no help <laughs> to share any notes with. It's a it's one person job. Yeah, it's, it's mm. very, it was very stressful, but um, I loved it and I would love to do, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be invited back into the Broadway community. Yes. I've just grown as an actor and I think... Um, what I don't have is the visibility or access necessarily to, to, to the projects that I'd love to be a part of. But I think doing shows at 54 and the word of mouth is a, is a good start. Hell yeah. You heard it on the pod, bitch. Um, are you a morning person or a night owl? Oh, a night owl. I wish I was a Me morning person. Too. I'm just not. Me too. I, do you think it's theater? Do you think we're, because of the theater hours, that we are just forever going to be stuck Yes, I also just think I I just thrive in the nighttime. Something about I mean, if I have to wake up early, fine, whatever I will. But like otherwise, I am up all hours of the night, which is a problem because then people are like, "I know you're awake. Come out, bitch." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no. I'm awake on my own terms. I'm awake in my home on my couch. Right, I'm not right. coming out to the East Village at two a.m., darling. That's not happening." Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish that it could. Um. Golden age or contemporary? Contemporary. Mm. I mean, I love the golden age. I just don't feel like I would, wouldn't get cast in it. So I just selfishly am like, eh. <laughs> Do you have a favorite role you've ever played? Um, people are going to be mad. Um, it's not Angel. I loved playing Angel and forever I thought it was. But it oddly, I think for me, was Usnavi in, in the Heights because of the the range of what your character experiences. I think for me also too, just the shock of people being like, why, why is he rapping so good? Like, I think that was tricky, <laughs> but having the abuela moments, you know, having the Vanessa moments, um, those were like just things I didn't get to do very often. Um, and I, I just loved it. Also the music, which just felt like very close to home. Totally. What about, the hardest show you've ever done? Byron Seller. Byron oh. Seller is a beast. It's one person playing, you know, was it like seven or eight roles? I can't even remember how many now. That was a beast. It was the most rewarding, but it was really hard because A, you're tired after, and then friends come and they're like, let's go out after. I was like, I'm tired. Like, I need a nap. <laughs> I want to lie down. Um, but I think it was the most rewarding. And when it was over, I was so bummed. I would love to do that show again. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah. Byron Seller. Fierce. Do you have a favorite costume you've ever worn? 
Favorite costume. I was the first angel to have the sort of more um, Barbarella hair as angel. Angel's uh, pussy galore wig used to be a blonde flip. And mm-hmm. when I started the show, I opened the Canadian production. The wigs uh, were sort of custom made for us. And he presented a multitude of ideas and then they really liked it. And then all of a sudden, when I came to Broadway with my wigs, the director was like, Michael Greif was like, actually, can we just get all the angels in that wig? And for context, this is what the wig looked like with my wig designer, Chris Ibsen. This is it. Period. Oh my God, it's full Barbarella. And do you know how, like, I'm like probably 140 pounds walking around. Like, if I tilt the wrong way, I'm like, <laughs> teetering over literally you know and oh then you know, God. that was my favorite outfit because it got such a good you know you you what people i don't know if you remember but like we walk out we will come out profile so nobody sees us so he says bond james bond then you're full front for and in, in person yeah yeah yep. <laughs> yeah love that. it that was my favorite out looks because of the gag you have like this bubblegum pink like soft pink patent leather you know thigh high boot with a four and a half inch heel you felt the c word (laughs) it was very well my last question for you jay which is a question that i ask every single guest is what is one thing that you would tell baby jay probably um i would probably say don't fear taking up space because you think you might be rejected or not heard. While that may happen sometimes, more often than not, you being your most authentic self and advocating for yourself will give people who don't quite understand an opportunity for growth because you're not budging. You're gonna stay exactly who you are and now the work is on them to adjust their mindset because they Mm. care for you, they they respect you or if they're a colleague, whatever, but you know, that, that, that I would change. Like, I think I wish I would have come into Queer Eye season one a little more like that because I was used to doing theater and TV and film where you're kind of told what to do, what to wear. And so I viewed my wardrobe on Queer Eye as costumes Mm -hmm. and wore whatever they wanted me to wear and often didn't reflect my personality or my sense of style. And Sometimes when things were suggested for me to do, I didn't want to do them, but I was too scared to advocate for myself. Now I know in hindsight that they would have loved for me to push back a little bit. I didn't know how to push back respectfully. And I think I learned how to take up space greatly from Carson because people remember him as the star of the show and think that everyone accepted us everywhere we went. And that's not true. We faced a lot of homophobia, of which was not documented or really talked about, but I witnessed it. I saw it. And he never backed down. He never made himself smaller to make Mm -hmm. other people uncomfortable. To me, he always felt like, it's your job to get into all this. I'm not going to change for you. There's no point. You're going to learn. I'm a great, kind, wonderful, giving human and while some of my affectations or the way I present might make you uncomfortable, you're going to, you're going to move past that very quickly. Get once over you're it. Yep. Period. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, Jay, <laughs> thank you so, so much for being on the pod. Listen, we do a show at 54 below. It's very scary. You're like, who the hell is going to want to talk to me about this cabaret show? But it's such a moment 
for me personally, and and you know, there's three ways. There's, there's there's basically four ways to watch. You can come to one of the three live shows, or you can even just get a streaming ticket. It's twenty five yes! bucks. Four phase at that show. It's Friday the twenty seventh. It's fifty four below dot org. But um, everybody who get who buys a ticket, I don't care who you are, if you buy a ticket. And you screen grab me the confirmation and DM it to me on Instagram at J-A-I Rodriguez. I will send you a personalized thank you video in your DMs right back. Oh I my God, it. I love it. People are, listen, we all, we're all working hard for that buck. And if you're spending it to come support live music and, and, and live art, then I want to thank you personally. Um, so yeah, so hit me up. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, you heard it on the pod. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, I'm just, I so admire you and I'm so grateful to have gotten you on the pod and I cannot wait to see the show. Thank you I so, so much for being flesh. here. And I'm so curious what so the going to be doing that day. <laughs> it's always a surprise. Because it's going to be Halloween weekend. So I'm like, no, I'm like, what was she going to turn up with? Period. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, that's it for another episode of Oh My Pod, You Guys. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the pod. And you can follow the show on Instagram at OhMyPod, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Talk soon. Bye! Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.